Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. And Lord, that is our prayer today, that we want to follow you wherever you lead, Father. Help us to see how, help us to see why, and help us to stay focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Adam Knight. I'm the pastor of middle school here at North Bible Church. Uh, really fun thing for me to be up here today sharing with you guys. And uh, we're coming up on the five-year anniversary, actually, of when Kayla and I hit the road from Indiana and moved out here to North Bible Church to join the team. Started middle school ministry in uh, August of 2013, and so it's been, uh, the past five years have been uh, just totally blessed by the Lord. Our, our family has changed. We went from newlyweds in 2013, and now we've got uh, two little ones at home. Violet is three, and Emerson is one. And, uh, and life is crazy, right? Things, uh, having two kids at home, it's good. It's, it's, uh, it's what we signed up for. I, I was just thinking this week, like, we don't see as many movies as we used to see, and we uh, don't go on as many dates as we used to go out on, but that's okay. We, uh, we love our family, um, but, but life is different, right? So this week, I actually was able to hop on Netflix for a couple hours. I was at home with the kids, and uh, anyone see The Last Jedi? Star Wars The Last Jedi is on Netflix now. Any Star Wars fans out there? Yeah, I popped that on and watched a little bit of it while, you know, the kids were napping, and then they woke up and needed to eat or something like that, so I had to pause it and, you know, tend to my duties as a, as a father, but, uh, you know, sometimes shuffling Violet out, out of the room. She loves the lightsabers, but then things get a little crazy, and it's like, okay, why don't you go uh, play in your room for a little bit? Uh, but there was a scene in The Last Jedi. I didn't really notice it in the theaters, but when I was watching it this week, it kind of struck me as absurd. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but but if you've seen the movie, you can follow along with what I'm saying. If you haven't seen the movie, I'll explain it, but not, but not spoil it. Sound good? So at the end of The Last Jedi, um, the, the good guys are kind of hunkered down in this little base, this little fortress that's built into the side of a, a mountain. And the bad guys have them basically surrounded. They've got the front entrance, the main entrance surrounded, just ready to annihilate anyone who walks out the, uh, the entrance of the cave. And so the good guys are kind of stuck inside, and they're trying to figure out how do we escape? How do we get out of this uh, situation? And they put their heads together and start thinking. They're like, I know there's a way out in the back somewhere, but it's kind of a maze and a labyrinth, and I, we don't have the plans. We don't have, you know, the charts or whatever. How are we going to figure this out? And C-3PO is making these comments about, oh, the odds are like astronomical and everyone's getting annoyed with him because it's like now's not the time, C-3PO, to make your jokes. But I say it's always the time to make, make those jokes. And all of a sudden, uh, there's these, uh, they're called crystal critters that live on this planet where uh, this scene takes place. And these crystal critters, they're like little foxes that got like, little icicles on them or something, I don't know. They're kind of cool looking, but they live on this planet, and in the scene, it's noticeably quiet because all the crystal critters have disappeared, right? 
they're in the base, but then all of a sudden they, they kind of all funnel out in the back. And then there, there's this one crystal critter uh, who is left. And the good guys who are kind of trying to figure out what to do, they look back in the back of the cave, and there's that crystal critter. And everyone knows, this guy knows the way out, right? He's going to lead everyone to, to salvation, to safety. And so, boom, the crystal critter takes off. But all of a sudden, Poe Dameron, one of the leaders of the good guys, for some reason he has the audacity, once the crystal critter takes off, he says, follow me. Like, everyone's like, what? Like, obviously we're going to follow the crystal critter, Poe. If you get on, in our way, like, we might you know, trip you or something, but okay, if you're going the same way the crystal critter's going, we'll follow you as well, and, uh, and obviously, well, I won't, I won't tell you the ending, um, but Poe, the, the audacity to say something that follow me, he's kind of like inserting himself into the middle of this situation where all the good guys are like, we're totally going to follow this crystal critter, but Poe, fine, we'll follow you. I don't know if this is some like ego trip or confidence booster for you as a leader or what, but uh, we're all going in the same direction, so uh, that's what happens. When I watched this movie, I was like, isn't that kind of absurd for, for Poe to do that? He's kind of getting in the way. He's kind of stepping up and stating the obvious. And then I, I, kind of, I was reminded of a passage of Scripture I was studying this week where the Apostle Paul essentially does the same thing. He kind of inserts himself into this, this process of following a leader, right? And in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul writes this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Uh, another translation says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And here's Paul, uh, a fellow believer, you know, a brother in the faith for, for you and I, and he's kind of inserting himself as a middleman in this situation, is he not? Like, we're Christians. We're Christ followers. Why does Paul think it's appropriate for him to say, follow me as I follow the example of Christ? It seems a little absurd, a little silly, but I believe that Paul is saying this for a reason. Follow me as I follow Christ. Consider how many people have have said that and had it backfire on them. And maybe it's not with their relationship with the Lord, but just in any situation. Hey, follow me, right? I think of the, uh, it's like the joke among parents that you say, do what I say, not what I do. Have you guys heard that before? It's like the parents are teaching their children, don't follow me, don't imitate me, but listen to what I say because that's what you should actually do. And it's just kind of absurd, right? Uh, hypocritical. And so there's a, there's a lesson here that we follow leaders, we follow people in our lives only insofar as they are following Jesus, right? Paul says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And so, okay, Paul, we're going in the same direction here. I can track with you as long as you continue to follow Jesus, right? Picture yourself in that cave in, in Star Wars. You're kind of like trying to figure out who is the last Jedi, and you're kind of like, oh, well, we're surrounded now. I probably should think, think about survival. And then you see the crystal critter, and then you hear Poe say, follow me, and you start taking off. And then what would happen if the crystal critter zigs to the left and Poe zags to the right, right? Who are you going to follow? You're going to put your trust only in the person that's going to lead you to salvation. 
are you modeling your spiritual life after someone who is following the Lord? Well, Paul wants us to follow him. Bold statement, Paul. And uh, it could be taken as arrogant or self-confident. But I believe that Paul is saying this, follow me as I follow Christ. He's speaking out of a position of humility and gratitude. These are two themes that we're going to be weaving in and out of this morning. Humility and gratitude. How do we know that Paul was speaking humbly in this context? We'll look at the, the previous couple verses 11.1 is imitate me, but what does chapter 10, verses 31 through 33 say in 1 Corinthians? And Paul is instructing the, the Christians in the church of Corinth, and he tells them, So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews, or to Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. We can kind of see Paul's motive in this situation. In every situation, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. I mean, that's pretty broad. That's as broad as you can possibly make it. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And then we kind of get this line that Paul writes, and it kind of hits our ears a little funny. Is Paul saying that he's a people pleaser? Isn't that negative in our world today when you think of someone who's a people pleaser oh that's a character flaw in them they're they're just a people pleaser you know they'll do whatever it takes to be accepted by the people around them we don't really view that as a positive do we but i think it all comes back to what is your motive if you're a people pleaser what is paul's motive i, I was thinking about it i find myself being a people pleaser uh, far too often uh, hate to admit it, but uh, I was I was thinking this week about one time. I just made made uh, made a bad decision. I was trying to be a people pleaser. I was trying to do whatever it took to get the people around me to to like me, to appreciate me, to get on their good side, right? And back in the day, before I met Kayla, I was dating this other girl in Ohio, and uh, it was. It was the time for the two of us to go back to her home and meet her mom and dad for the very first time, right? And so there's a lot of pressure in this situation. I want to make a good first impression. I want to get in good with them. I want to prove myself that I'm worthy to be dating their daughter. And uh, there was a snowstorm that week. And so who do you guys think was the only person out front shoveling the driveway that day? But you better believe it was me. I was the only one out there with a shovel, you know, going up and down the sidewalk, out to the driveway. I mean, hours and hours that I could have been spending, you know, getting to know these people. And I thought that this would be a way to get in good with them. Obviously, I'm not married to the girl, so it was a total waste of time. But I, Paul says his motive is not, not seeking my own advantage. I was totally seeking my own advantage in that situation. I do it way more often than, I, than I'd like to admit. Even just having random conversations with friends, uh, with people that I'm just meeting, and it's like trying to figure out how I can connect with them. What can I say that will make them like me? And for some reason, I find myself lying sometimes to get people to like me. Uh, it's the dumbest thing. Like, hey, have you seen this movie? It's like, no, I haven't seen the movie, but I do this quick calculation. What if I told them that I didn't see the movie? 
they would just probably stop talking to me forever and, you know, that would be that, right? So I said, yeah, I love that movie. It's my favorite movie. Like, we've got so much in common. They're like, what's your favorite part? And I'm like, all of them, obviously. It's, a, it's an amazing movie, and I just keep digging and digging and digging. And my motive is to seek my own advantage. My motive is to be loved and appreciated and wanted. And I think that kind of short circuits itself very often, right? Because what happens if you're in a situation when you're trying to please someone, you're a people pleaser, you're in a situation with someone who isn't good at reciprocating or showing love or appreciation, right? It's going to be all for naught. It's going to be worthless. You're going to do crazy things without the proper payoff, the, pr- the payoff that you desired. And so Paul says, I'm a people pleaser, but I do it because I'm not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. I have to check myself. Say, Adam, what, what is your motive in this situation? Are you being selfish here? Are you putting other people first in this situation? Are you doing it for their advantage? Well, remember, Paul said, I am following the example of Christ. And so I have to ask myself, was Jesus a people pleaser? I think there are certain passages in the Bible where, I mean, if he's healing someone, or raising someone from the dead, I, I would imagine they would be pretty pleased with that, don't you think? Uh, I don't have, you know, I can see now, thank you, Jesus, I'm so pleased. He was a people pleaser. I can think of search, uh, certain situations where Jesus was not a people pleaser. All of his various encounters with the Pharisees, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're not thinking that Jesus was a people pleasing type, right? Jesus calls them out. He says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs, you know, spiritually speaking. Uh, You're presentable on the outside and uh, and beautiful and clean, but on the inside, you're just rotting and decaying, and that's your spiritual condition. And I'm sure the Pharisees weren't like, well, Jesus, when you put it that way, that makes, oh, thank you, Jesus. I am so pleased now with our conversation, right? Jesus wasn't a people pleaser in every situation, but we do know that his motive throughout his entire life was to bring salvation to the world. It wasn't selfish. It wasn't inward. It was outward. It was others-focused. Paul writes about Jesus' humble leadership, how he was others-focused. In Philippians chapter 2, probably one of the most famous passages talking about Jesus' humility, Paul writes, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul challenges us to follow him as he follows the example of Christ. He is saying humility is something that I um, aspire to, and it's something that Jesus exemplified throughout his entire life. Everything that he did 
was others-focused. There was a monk back in the 1400s, Thomas A. Kempis, and he wrote this uh, piece of literature, this book, devotional. It's, it's called The Imitation of Christ. And I'm like, wow, great name. I wonder where he came up with that. Um, but The Imitation of Christ is this beautiful piece of work, and in it, Thomas A. Kempis is talking about humility, and he says, love to be unknown. Love to be unknown. Do I love to be unknown? I mean, I'm introverted, and there's times where I like to be alone, but a lot of times, the majority of my life, I want people to recognize me, to appreciate me, to say, wow, look at how awesome Adam is. And that's not humility. That's not how Paul lived his life or Jesus lived his life. Love to be unknown. This is a plea for all followers of Jesus because humility says it's not about me. It's, it's about the people around me. It's, it's not me who's getting the glory in whatever it is that I'm doing, right? Eating or drinking or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's not about me. And one thing that I'm learning about humility these days is that humility happens in community. We can't do it alone. We can't be humble if we don't have interactions, relationships with the people around us. Humility happens in community. We have to acknowledge the people around us that God has placed in our lives. That there's people that can pour into to my life, but I need to be humble enough to say I need help. I need to, to tell people I have blind spots, I have weaknesses and you can pour into my life, and you have weaknesses too, and, and I would gladly and joyfully, out of love, pour into your life. It's this cycle that happens in relationships with one another. And that only happens when everyone has the attitude, it's not about me, or else no one learns and grows from each other. Do you live your life with a humble heart? Do you serve the people around you out of humility, or out of selfish ambitions. Well, there's another famous Thomas that I want to quote today. We talked about Thomas Akempis. This one's Thomas Merton, another famous Thomas of yesteryear. And he said, pride makes us artificial. Humility makes us real. I love that quote. Pride makes us artificial. Humility makes us real. When I'm living to puff up my own ego, when I'm living out of pride, there's a lot of times that I'll, you know, tell lies or deceive other people in order to make them think better about myself. I put on a mask. I'm fake around people. Pride makes us artificial, but he says humility is what makes us real. When we're willing to admit that we're not perfect, when we're, we're willing to say, hey, I need you, you need me, let's do life together. That's what makes us real and authentic. And that's what people are drawn to. And so when Paul draws us to follow himself, follow me as I follow the example of Christ, he's not drawing us to this fake version of himself, this prideful, perfect, sinless person. Paul is real, Paul is humble. And he, he talks about his own sin. I love that. Because I can relate to Paul there more than I can relate to Jesus. 
I'm not perfect. Jesus was perfect. Jesus did not sin. Jesus had no flaws, no faults, no failures. He was tempted just like you and I are, but Jesus was perfect. And so it is helpful to have someone like Paul um, who can lead us and guide us and share some wisdom and how to deal with our, our sinful nature. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul talks about his own sinfulness. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He's saying, I am public sinner number one. Give me the prize. I've won it, right? Um, I am the best at being the worst, Paul says, and I can relate to him there because I feel like I'm public sinner number one. I'm the foremost sinner. I wonder if you feel that way too. Just by nature of being human, we, we all sin, except for Jesus, right? And so this title, public sinner number one, it's almost like a participation trophy that we all get just by virtue of being born. Congratulations, you guys. You're number one. You did it. Um, but we're the best at being the worst. And when you're real with yourself, when you look inward, you know what Paul is saying. This isn't something where Paul says, this is my past. I was the worst sinner way back when. But now I've got everything all figured out and I'm perfect. And uh, so look at me, everyone. Give me a different prize, you know, uh, Mr. Amazing. No, he's saying this is present tense. I am the foremost, he says. This is still ongoing with Paul. And it's still ongoing with me and with you. I think understanding this idea that, that God's love and God's forgiveness and how he deals with our sinful nature each and every day of our lives in the present tense is helpful for understanding the way that he shows his mercy and his love. Tim Keller says this, We only fully grasp the gospel when we understand, as Paul did, that we are the worst sinner we know. Well, that's a fun quote, isn't it? I mean, sobering. But it's the reality. We are the worst sinner we know. In our world today, I think there's kind of two extremes if we're looking at a spectrum. And you've got one extreme over here, how we, how we deal with sin, how we handle sin. And this extreme misses the mark by focusing on sin too much. We think about our own sinful nature all the time. We drag ourselves through the mud. We say, we are worthless. We are pitiful. God would never love me. I'm a sinful person. And we dwell on it. And we miss out on the amazing gift of God's redemption and forgiveness. We're too self-focused here. We miss out on what God's trying to do. On this extreme, we think about our sin far too little. We ignore it sometimes. We act like it's not even there. We downplay it. We minimize it. We say, oh, there's other sinners out there that are way worse than I am, right? That's, uh, that's what helps me sleep at night. And so is there some, some middle ground? Because on that side, you're missing out on God's redemption. This side, you're missing out on God's redemption as well. You're not receiving forgiveness from God. 
You don't get to experience the love and the mercy and compassion and healing that Jesus can bring to your life when you submit to him, when you say, I need your help, Jesus. The middle ground is right here, but I, I want to I talk about this a little bit more because I do believe that the church, modern church, 2018, across the globe, we live on this side. We don't want to talk about our sins. We hide our sins. We cover up our sins. We try and come across in public like we're much better than we actually are, right? That's a pride issue. It's the total opposite of humility. We let ourselves off the hook far too easily. And when we start to think, yeah, there's other sinners out there that are worse than I am. I would never do the things that they do. They're way worse than I am. I have to check myself and say, are they really? Okay, Adam, you've never murdered someone, but what does Jesus have to say about murder and hating your brother? Right, those people, maybe they don't even know Jesus. You know Jesus. You've experienced his forgiveness. You know what he calls you to, and still you think the things that you think and do the things that you do. Are they really worse than you, Adam? I have to humble myself and say, God, I need you. I am not perfect, but I strive to follow you. It's like I don't want to be prideful. I know it's a sin but I find myself struggling with pride. I don't want to be judgmental. I know that's a sin, but way more often than I care to admit, I find myself thinking judgmental thoughts. And I say, God, why is this happening? Why am I so sinful, so evil? I don't want to, to be like that. And, I, and Paul says in Romans 7, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's a struggle. And the easy thing to let ourselves out of the situation is just to forget about it, to minimize our sins, to ignore it. But Paul shows us we have to address our sins. We have to confess. We have to own up to it. And there's two reasons why. It's not to beat yourself up. It's not to... Uh, cut your legs out from underneath you. It's not to, um, you know, just think the worst of yourself. The two reasons why, humility and gratitude. When we think about our own sins, those are two uh, characteristics that just float up to the top. Humility and gratitude. There is an old old Puritan pastor named Thomas Goodwin, he talked about every time he got up on the stage to preach the word of God, his sins flashed before his eyes. He talked about how this could have been a scheme from the devil that, you know, trying to distract you, trying to cut you down before you're trying to, to share the gospel. But he viewed it as a blessing. That when his sins flashed before his eyes, he was able to say, thank you, God, for forgiving me and thank you, God, that you continue to use someone like me in your kingdom. Paul says, I am the foremost. In verse 
16, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The reason why we deal with our sin is not for our glory, for God's glory. That people can witness our lives being changed. People can see us living freely and joyfully and not burdened down and torn down by our wickedness, but people can see the change in our lives and we give glory to God. And people can be saved. And so I ask you, who is following you? Who is watching your life? Who is, who is observing what God is or isn't doing in your life? Because you're a leader. You have influence. People are watching you. And are they seeing this, a changed life, giving glory to God? If God can use someone like Paul, God can use someone like me and you, right? The key is that humility is what makes us real. We have to be willing to break down our walls, our barriers, to be open and honest and vulnerable with the people in our lives that God has placed there for a reason. You have to say, I'm a sinner, but God has saved me, and you know we can't put on this mask of pride and perfection. Because if we do, what good is there for Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection? I don't need forgiveness. I don't need Jesus, right? But no, humility is what opens the door for community. Humility is, is what it takes, and that leads to gratitude. So I want to close with this. Obviously, the, the two big challenges for us today, that every one of us in this room can follow Christ and follow Paul by leading humbly and living gratefully. Leading humbly. Two pieces there. Leading humbly. It's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. The, the people that God has put in your life, you have leadership in their life. You can show them the example of humility. It's, it's not about me. And Wes was kind of sharing a little bit about our, our trip to California with the students a couple weeks ago. And I was just kind of struck by the contrast between two days, Monday and Tuesday. All day Monday, we're at Disneyland. It's a great time. Loved it. But just the perspective, I think it, I was being so selfish that day. It's all about me. What ride do I want to ride? How can I be happy? What uh, food do I want today, right? It's all about me. It's all about me. Disneyland, that's the ultimate Disneyland experience. And then boom, Tuesday, we're serving at Skid Row. We had the opportunity to wrap and sort Christmas presents uh, for kids who lived on Skid Row. They're putting on an event called Christmas in July, and our volunteer coordinator kind of told us that over the years, Skid Row, the population has changed. It's gone from predominantly male to predominantly uh, women and children, families. And so they are putting on this event, Christmas in July, to serve their community. 
And when we were serving, we were wrapping presents, we were cleaning up, um, you know, uh, wrapping paper and tape and uh, all these toys that, that we were cleaning. Like, that wasn't about us at all. It was about God and his glory. In fact, we, we didn't even get to be there when they are opening up the gifts this past week. But the students served humbly. But it was all about God, and I was so proud of them for that. How can you lead humbly? What's your ministry? Is it at home, at work? Where are the people in your life who you can serve? You can point them to Jesus. It's not about me and giving me a pat on the back for being such a good Christian, but I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. You lead humbly, not selfishly. And number two, living gratefully. We've been forgiven. I mean, shouldn't we just be thankful all the time? We should be so grateful that God has forgiven us every single morning. There are new mercies. We should be grateful all the time. And Kayla and I have a gratitude jar at home. Um, These are things where... Uh, if the Lord has answered a prayer, um, almost always through another person, whether here at the church or uh, family or friends, right? Uh, if the Lord answers a prayer, we write that down. We put it in our gratitude jar. We're able to look back over time. All the prayers that have been answered, all the times where we were in need and God had provided. And we're so grateful. We see his love and his faithfulness. A couple months ago when Mark Gregson was here, he he said to parents, go home and tell your kids, there's nothing you can do to make me love you any less. There's nothing you can do to make me love you any more. And I like to picture God saying that to me. That that is grace. That there's sins in my life and in your life that, that we're all struggling with, we, we hold on to them, they're a burden. We don't want to take them to God because we're sh- so ashamed. And God says, Adam, there's nothing you can do that will make me love you any less. You are my child. And that gives freedom. That gives me healing and forgiveness and hope. We have to be willing to see our need for the Lord and submit humbly and gratefully to him to follow him wherever he leads. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are thankful for your example. You lived a perfect life. God, we strive to to follow you as close as we can. But we're also thankful for Paul and other people that you place in our lives who show us what does it look like to deal with our own sin? How do we come to you in the midst of our our struggles? And, And Paul and Jesus both say humility and gratitude. They go together. They feed off of each other. And so, God, help us to focus on on that in our lives. We don't want to take you for granted. We don't want to ignore our sins. But we come to you 
in trust and confidence that you forgive us and you still have a plan to use us in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Wherever he leads this week, we're all in. We'll follow him through the ups and the downs, the joys and the pains, frustrations, because we know where he's leading. We're so thankful for that. My challenge for you this week, lead humbly and live gratefully. Guys, I love you. Make sure you stop by our prayer uh, partners over on the side on our prayer table in the back. We would love to be able to pray with you this week. Lift up your needs uh, before the Father. Maybe that's an act of humility to just say, hey, I've been dealing with this for, for such a long time. I need a community to come alongside me and walk this road of life with me. We would be honored to do that. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.